Today's scripture comes from Joshua chapter 2. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan, as far as the forts, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house and your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, this blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath, and that you have made us swear. And she said, According to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, Tim. That was a long chapter. Uh, please pray with me one more time. God, we praise you for your God who remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God, as we delve into this passage together, we humbly pray and ask that would you speak to us And through this passage, may we be uh, challenged to go out and intentionally live out our faith in the places that you have called us to be. We commit this time to you. Thank you. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let me begin by showing you a picture. So someone made this funny meme about having a childlike faith. Right? It's funny. If you, if you read the caption, it's funny, but it also makes you think about what having a childlike faith actually looks like for you and me. So the question that I want to ask as we begin this message is, what does faith look like for you? What does it mean for you to live by faith and not by sight in the places that he has called you to be? If you read through the Old Testament, you will be able to see and notice that there are two things that remain constant. Number one, that the people of Israel consistently remain unfaithful to God. However, God remains consistently faithful to them. 
And despite being eyewitnesses of all the great things that God has done for them again and again and again, the people of Israel continue to waver in their faith and compromise their commitment and allegiance to God. And we see this happening over and over again as we read from the Old Testament. And it's mind-blowing how they can continue to exhibit faith that is childish, not childlike. In Joshua 2, we meet a Canaanite woman named Rahab who lives in Jericho. And she was a prostitute. And because of that, you will think that her heart must be so far away from God, but that wasn't the case. It was quite the opposite. Ironically, she actually ends up having more faith um, or having faith that is far more childlike and courageous than that of the people of Israel. Now, with that in mind, as we delve into this passage together, I would like for us to focus on three things in light of uh, Rahab's faith. Point number one, Rahab's defiance. Point number two, Rahab's confession. Point number three, Rahab's redemption. To help you better understand the historical context of what is about to happen in this passage, uh, let me just take some time uh, to recap the history of Israel up until this point so that you can better understand and appreciate the faithfulness that God has shown to his people up until now. So the book of Joshua outlines the fulfillment of God's covenant promise given to the people of Israel, specifically going into the promised land. But when was this covenant promise initially given? And to find out, we got to go all the way back to Genesis 12. And here, these are the words that God gave to Abraham as he was commanding him to go and go into this land that he will show you. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And God's covenant promise to Abraham was very specific. Go, I will bless you into this land and I will make you into a great nation. Now, according to a prominent Old Testament scholar, Bruce Walkie, he writes, a nation consists of a common people sharing a common land, submissive to the common law and having a common ruler. So in order for uh, Israel to become a great nation, it needs to have four things. People, law, Land and king. And I'm not sure if you guys ever read from um, the Bible chronologically starting from Genesis, but I actually want to challenge you with this in mind. If you read from Genesis 12 onward, you'll be able to see how God remains faithful to this specific covenant promise as he moves them from place to place, from event to event, and you'll be able to see, not surprisingly, how God remains faithful faithful to this promise, and progressively fulfills this covenant promise little by little. Now, the same covenant promise that was given to Abraham is passed down to um, now Isaac, and this is mentioned in Genesis uh, chapter 26, right? I will give all these lands. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. Same covenant promise is passed on to generation to Jacob, which is mentioned in Genesis 35. But here, in starting from verse 11, And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings, here's a promise of kingship, shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. You see the same covenant promise that was given to Abraham being passed on to Isaac and Jacob. And they continue. The story continues, right? When Abraham initially began this faith journey towards the promised land, it was just him and his family, one family. But by the time we get to the the end of the book of Genesis, we have 12 tribes of Israel. That God remained faithful in helping them become um, fruitful and multiply, absolutely. And they're still on their journey towards the promised land. 
But notice how the book of Exodus begins. In Exodus chapter 1. God has been so faithful and they have been multiplying so greatly that this is what's uh, mentioned of them in verse 7. But the people of Israel were fruitful, this is when they're in Egypt, and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. God remaining faithful to his covenant promise. But because there's just so many of them in the land, this is what Pharaoh decided to do. He decided to oppress them. And this is what is said in, in Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 and onward. Now there was a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our um, enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Uh, verse 12. But more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread uh, uh, abroad. And Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. There's too many of them. They're um, becoming fruitful and they are multiplying as God has promised them. But you may be wondering, well, they're still oppressed. And how would they come out? But even this oppression was already prophesied, which is mentioned in Genesis 15. Verses 13 and 14. Know therefore certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. Which is exactly what happens. But God does promise a promise of deliverance. But I will bring them out. But not only that, they will come out with great possessions. Oppression was already prophesied in Genesis 15. But also deliverance was promised. When the people of Israel eventually cry out to God, God remembers the covenant that he has made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and he does come to their rescue. Right? God raises up Moses, who will lead his people out of the land of Egypt to the promised, promised land and through the wilderness. And this is what's mentioned in Exodus chapter 2, verses 2-8. to God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob and as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from uh, slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from the, un- from the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. And this is exactly what happens. Under the leadership of Moses, God brings them out from the land of Egypt. But they don't just go out empty-handed. And this is mentioned in Exodus 12. After witnessing the ten plagues, God's mighty acts of power, and this is what, this is what the Egyptians said. This is how they respond in fear. In verse 33, the Egyptians were urgent with the people and to send them out of the land in haste, and they said, we shall all be dead. Get them out of here. But not only that, as they were leaving, they asked for possessions, and, it, and the Egyptians, they just gave it to them. Take it and go, please. Take it and go. We don't want to, to have nothing to do with you anymore. But this was already prophesied, and it's coming to a fruition here. Now, they eventually get to the Red Sea, and you guys all know the story. God parts the Red Sea for them, and they cross over to the other side. And at Mount Sinai, the law is finally given. They're on their way to becoming a great nation. But at Mount Sinai, they spend about a year receiving more specific instructions and commandments as to how they can live a life of holiness, which is the book of Leviticus. And Israel will not only be a great nation, but as God has promised here and identified with them, that they will be a holy nation before him and before others. And afterwards, Moses leads the people of Israel through the wilderness. And this is the book of Numbers. But because of their unbelief and disobedience, they eventually um, end up circling in the wilderness, wandering for 40 years. They could have went straight to the promised land, but because of their unbelief and disobedience, that's what happens. 
But afterwards, God eventually, um, as the older generation of Israelites died in the wilderness, God raised up another leader, Joshua, who will take over Moses, and then he will lead the younger generation of Israelites into the promised land. But before that happens, before uh, before the leadership changes, Moses, as he leads uh, the people of Israel into at, at to the at borders of the promised land, and this is the the context of the book of Deuteronomy, where he gives them his last words of hope and warning to the generation that is about to go in to the promised land, to claim the land that God has promised to give to their forefathers. And after the death of Moses, God commissioned Joshua to lead his people into the promised land. This is where uh, today's passage comes in. The conquest of the promised land, starting with the city of Jericho. Jumping to the first point, Rahab's defiance. Now, before going into the promised land, to conquer it, Joshua sends two spies. For what, for what purpose? To spy out the land and to survey it. It was a military tactic. It was a strategic move so that, um, based on the report of uh, these two spies, that they can be fully prepared to engage uh, the people in Jericho in battle so they can overtake it, so that they can go in and conquer it. And then any leader, good leader would do, he wanted to be fully prepared. And Joshua wanted to know what they were clearly up against. But he does it in secret, we are told. Now, why is that? Why does Joshua send two spies to Canaan, especially to the city of Jericho, in secret? There must be a reason why. When they were journeying through the wilderness, when Moses was the leader, and this is mentioned in uh, Numbers chapter 13, Moses, I'm not sure if you guys remember, he did actually um, form a group of 12 spies, and he sent them ahead into the promised land uh, so that um, they would come back with, hopefully, promising reports so that they can continue this journey towards the promised land. But do you guys remember what happens? After serving the land, they come back, and they come back with two different reports. Ten of them actually say, we cannot go in there. We are outmatched. We will be destroyed. So we should not go in. But there are two spies who actually gave a good report. Holding on to the promises of God, Joshua and Caleb. And they actually told everyone, no, we can go in and actually conquer Uh, these people, because God has promised to give them into our hands, and they're like bread for us. So we should just move forward in faith. What happens afterwards? After hearing these two reports, the people grumble, they get angry, and they actually tell Moses, we should just go back. This This journey is not worth it. And this is actually one of the reasons why, main reasons why, they don't get to go right away. The older generation, they will die in the wilderness. And this is the very reason why, because of their unbelief and disobedience, they circle in the wilderness. And it didn't, it didn't even have to take uh, them this long to, to wander, but it's because of their unbelief and disobedience, they wander, and they don't get to go in, right? And it was an unnecessary detour for the Israelites. But here's the thing. These two spies eventually come back, right, after having met Rahab. And it it comes with a good report. Do you think it was a chance, an absolute chance that they ran into Rahab and that Rahab decided to bring them in, hide them, and even defy the king of Jericho's orders to bring them out? This, these events all took uh, place under the sovereignty of God, under God's sovereign plan, so that um, Joshua, even though he was fully aware of the promises of God, that he will be even more um, firm and be able to lead the people of Israel into the promised land and conquer it, starting with the city of Jericho. But notice what Rahab does, right? It kind of doesn't make sense. A Canaanite woman who doesn't know much about God, but he all of a sudden, after meeting the two spies, the Israelite men, decides to 
house them, not only that, protect them, hide them, risking her own life and the life, lives of her family members. And the question is, why is she doing this? Why is she doing this? She's committing treason. She could die for this. There are consequences. But as you can see, even though you might be thinking, you know, her actions are reckless, foolish, and dangerous, but, but these specific actions by Rahab reveal and demonstrate her faith, which side she is on. And with her actions, she's actually making statements of faith for all to see. She was fully aware of the consequences, what may happen to her and her own family, but that didn't keep her from moving forward in faith, acting in faith. She did not waver in her faith. Do you know why? Because for Rahab, this is what faith meant for her. Crazy, isn't it? Remember when Abraham in Genesis 12 receives that command to go? Pick up everything and just go into this land that I will show you. There were no specific instructions, just the command to go. Remember how Abraham responded? I mean, he just went in faith. He responded in faith, and he went out in faith. In this book, my almost for his highest, Oswald Chambers comments on Abraham's faith, how he was able to respond in this way, and I quote, Faith never knows where it is being led, but it loves and knows the one who is leading. It is a life of faith, not of intellect and reason, but a life of knowing who makes us go. The root of faith is the knowledge of a person. I'm sure Abraham, before beginning the journey, he thought about the potential danger that might lie ahead, difficult circumstances that he may have to navigate through as he continues this faith journey. But what mattered to him more was the fact that it was God himself who called him and he was holding, and he was holding on to that. His faith was firmly grounded in the one who called him and that's all it mattered. His faith was not situational nor was it circumstantial. It was firmly and deeply grounded in the person, uh, the one who called him. Same thing happened to Rahab. If she was so caught up with what may happen to her, what is actually happening in front of her, she might have responded differently. But as we can see, her faith was grounded in in the person, the God of Israel, and that's what it mattered. Now let me just share some examples from the Bible, what faith looked like for different people in different contexts. For Noah... Faith men keep building the ark. Even though people made fun of him, even though it didn't start raining. For Abraham, faith men exchanging what is familiar and comfortable for what is unfamiliar and uncomfortable. For Moses, faith men standing up to Pharaoh. For David, faith men fighting against Goliath. For Ezra, faith men rebuilding the temple for Nehemiah, faith men rebuilding the wall despite opposition. For Esther, faith men going before the king while risking her own life. For Job, faith men worshiping God even when it hurts. For Daniel, faith men going into the lion's den. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, faith men going into the fiery furnace. For Hosea, faith men marrying a prostitute named Gomer. For Jonah, faith men being swallowed up by great fish. For Stephen, faith men being stoned to death. For Zacchaeus, faith men giving half of his possessions to the poor. For Paul, faith men considering all things as rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. For James, faith men being killed by the sword. For Peter, faith men being imprisoned and martyred. For Rahab, Faith meant hiding the spies, defying the king of Jericho, committing treason, at the same time believing, trusting, and hoping in the God of Israel, committing her 
allegiance to Him. Do you know what all these characters have in common? Same faith, different scenarios and circumstances, but they all have the same object of faith. What matters the most is not the quality and the strength of your faith, but then the object of your faith. Do you see yourself wavering in your faith when things get rough? When you have to face trials that come at you unexpectedly? If your faith is situational and circumstantial, you will most likely waver. And you will find yourself struggling. And I'm sure you've been there, I've been there. But then the moment you begin to put, make sure, and, and by depending on God's grace, and you, you, and you, you want to make sure that your faith is deeply and firmly rooted in the person of Jesus Christ who is for you, whose promises are true, who remains the same yesterday, today, and forever, the way you live out that faith can be very different. Very different. So the question that we all need to ask ourselves as we continue this journey of faith and as we continue to seek to live out our faith in the places that God has called us to be, the question is, what does faith look like for me? What does faith look like for me in the place that God has called me to be? And that's something that we all need to to think about and continue to wrestle with. Let's jump into the next point, Rahab's confession. Now, before sending the spies away, Rahab goes out of her way to share um, words of faith to them. And I want to read this from verse 8. Now, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the, of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and to Og, and whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, and you also uh, will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, A life for yours even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, and when and the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Notice what she tells the spies before she tells them to leave and run away so you won't be caught. She shares such words of faith. Did you know at this point, as Rahab is telling the, the two spies about what God had done for them, at the Red Sea, parting the Red Sea so that they could cross over in faith on dry ground. That took 40 years ago. 40 years ago. But Rahab, she's still talking about it. She not only remembers it, I mean, ever since then, I mean, she was sold. I want to worship a God who is able to do that. I mean, she also mentions to them, I know what God has also done for you. On the other side of Jordan, how God delivered the two kings of the Amorites on their own. They cannot conquer uh, these kings, but God gave them to him. And Rahab knew. So Rahab is pretty much telling them something that they already know. But notice, it's not the two spies telling Rahab, because of your faith, and this is who our God is, and, and when God gives us this land, when we come to Jericho, we will spare you. No, it's the other way. Ironic, isn't it? And Rahab tells them, ever since we heard about the Red Sea incident, we've been dreading the day 
you will come and take this land. Talk about a different perspective. Israelites, they were afraid, terrified to go in, but yet, since the Red Sea crossing 40 years ago, they've been dreading the day the Israelites would come and devote their city to destruction. And for them, people living in Jericho, it wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when. That changes a lot of things, right? That's why Rahab tells them. Our hearts melted. We know that this is no match. That your God will give this land, this city indeed, to you. But please spare me. Talk about such courageous faith, right? And the sad thing is, Rahab is recounting the things that God had done for them. And this is something that, that they have personally lived out. They were eyewitnesses to these marvelous acts of God's power and deliverance. But then the sad thing is, and the ironic thing here is that even though these life-changing events and experiences of deliverance and provision that, that they had um, witnessed personally, I mean, shouldn't these things should be forever etched in their memories and ingrained in their hearts? But sad thing is, they keep forgetting. They're about to go conquer Jericho. But all they can think about is what is in front of them. Their faith is becoming situational and circumstantial. And because of the the fear, all they can think about is what is in front of them, and they completely forget what has happened up until this point. Parting the Red Sea, that's something you don't see every day. It was God's miraculous intervention in saving them, redeeming his people. But not only that, as they were journeying through the wilderness, they personally felt, heard, saw, tasted tangible expressions of God's goodness. But even then, because of what they were facing, they completely forget as if this up until now never, ever happened. The ironic thing is, and sad thing is, the sinful Canaanite woman living in Jericho exhibits, demonstrates more faith than the Israelites who happen to be personal eyewitnesses of such mighty acts of God and his power and all the tangible expressions of his goodness and faithfulness that God has shown to them over and over up until this point. Shocking, isn't it? But here's a question. What can we learn from this? Because I don't think we're better. I think we're just like the Israelites. When the next trial comes, we get so fixated on it, and we get so caught up in that, we, we can't see God who's been faithful and who's with us clearly. And we completely forget the faithfulness of God up until that point, right? I think Paul Tripp is absolutely right when he says that we are gospel amnesiacs. We often forget. But you know what the encouraging thing is? We are forgetful, but we are not forgotten. And that's exactly what we see through pages of Scripture as you move Genesis 12 onward. The people of Israel consistently Unfaithful, forgetful, but God remains consistently faithful, and he does not forget. He remembers. This past week, when I was um, doing daddy day care with Ava, so Mondays uh, I watch Ava because Shine goes to work, and I remember just being so tired, and, and before we had to go pick up uh, Maya, we went to the playground um, that was right next to the school, and, and I remember just playing with her, and then I just zoned out, because even though physically I was there, my mind was somewhere else, and, and, and because I was so exhausted, and, 
and even as I was playing with her, I was just thinking about just the next steps, all the preparations uh, that needs to be made and all the things that we still need to do. And this is before I got accepted into the school. I had been waiting for about a month, and I haven't heard back. And so I was getting somewhat annoyed and discouraged, and then that, that, that made me um, go down this uh, path um, that just made me want to doubt God's goodness even more. So, so I put Ava on the swing, and I was just pushing her, but like I was just zoning out, just thinking, <laughs> just like this, whatever. I probably looked like a, like a crazy person. And, and Ava was like so happy, smiling, but in my head, I'm just thinking like, oh man, like what is going on? And, and, and my heart began to be filled with doubt, anxiety, you know, fear, anger, and all that. Right? When, you're, when you feel like you're just stuck and you can't move forward because you, you just want answers from God, and it seems like you're not getting it. But at that moment... Because God is merciful, you know, God ministered to my soul through Ava. All of a sudden, you know, she's just on that swing, just being so happy, and she started singing this uh, song that she loves to sing. And I'm sure uh, if you're serving in uh, CM, you know this song. Um, Wherever you lead me, I'm going to follow. I'm trusting you, God. You are good. Life will be crazy, wild, and amazing. I'm trusting you, God. You are good. And I remember being just so embarrassed and ashamed, like, God's been so good to us up until this point, but because I felt stuck, and all I can see was this, I let my faith become situational and circumstantial, and at that moment, it was not grounded in who God is and what he has done for me up until point, and, and I was so ashamed, and I remember just repenting, and afterwards, I wanted to join Ava and sing it with her, <laughs> but then the moment Again, Ava was like, oh, but no. <laughs> she was like, oh, no, this is my song. You don't get to sing it, kind of. <laughs> right? But I'm so thankful that uh, God can use even a, a two-year-old um, and, and to minister to my soul. I'm deeply thankful for that. Perhaps you feel stuck in your faith journey right now. Perhaps you've been discouraged frustrated, anxious, afraid, doubtful, confused because of what you're facing, because of what is in front of you. Perhaps you've been going through a a long season where you're just surrounded by doubts, uncertainty. seems like there's no way out. The question I want to ask you is, what is the basis of your faith? Is it what is subjective or is it what is objective? If your faith is based on what is subjective, most likely your feelings, emotions will dictate how firmly you can trust God depending on what is happening. Right? I've been there. I'm sure you've been there as well. But our faith ought to be, as we have seen, and the life of Rahab. It ought, it ought to be grounded in something that is objective. Jesus Christ, his promises, which is are true. And I want to encourage and challenge you to, to make sure that your faith is firmly grounded and deeply rooted in the one who is leading you, not what is in front of you and what is happening around you. Then you see the difference. And hopefully you can, as you struggle and wrestle through uh, the things that you will face in your faith journey, hopefully you can take a moment to pause if you're struggling, and at that moment honestly examine, right now is my faith grounded in something that is subjective or objective? If it is based on your emotions and feelings, if that's making you doubt the goodness of God, then go back to Scripture. Preach the gospel to yourself and and make sure it is anchored in something that is objective, unchanging, unfailing, and keep moving, keep living, keep trusting, keep hoping, keep believing. It's actually encouraging for me to see Israelites doubting God over and over again, struggling, wandering away because we are just like them. But it's even more encouraging to see God remaining faithful 
to a group of people who deserve nothing for death and, and God's wrath, but yet God remains faithful to them over and over again. The same promises is also available for you and me. We just have to continue to take hold of it and continue to move forward in faith. Let's jump to our last point, Rahab's redemption. So the men, uh, they, they tell Rahab, okay, so this is what we will do. Since you have spared our lives, when we do come in to the land to conquer it, make sure that you hang this scarlet cord on the window so that the men will know that um, this is a house that they are to go in and to spare the lives of you and your family. That's exactly what happens, right? I mean, Israelites, under the leadership of uh, Joshua, they eventually cross the Jordan River. But, but get this, as they cross the Jordan River on dry ground, I mean, this is God parting um, the sea for the second time, right? And they see it. And, 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 but God knows after the Red Sea parting, they still forgot about it. And so after crossing the Jordan uh, River on dry ground, God actually tells, okay, I want you to pick up 12 memorial stones from the, from the dry ground in which you set foot. And on the other side, I want you to set up a memorial so that it will be a visible reminder so you can actually see and remember what I have done for you here. But as if that wasn't enough, before they uh, go into the city of Jericho to conquer it, God says, you know what? Uh, the younger generation, um, you're going to receive the sign of the covenant so that you will know that I am your God and you are my people. So right before battle, God says, you're going to be circumcised. Not the best military tactic, right? Right before going to battle, God says, you'll be circumcised. You're going to receive the sign of the covenant. I don't know, perhaps God is, this is God's way of telling them, let the lingering pain serve as a painful reminder that I am your God, that you are my people, and the battle belongs to me, that I will give you victory, right? Then when they get to Jericho, it's not like Joshua's going to do his own thing. No, what happens? God specifically tells him, march around the walls for seven days, and after that, I will give you the city. But this time in faith, that's exactly what they do. And they go in and conquer it. But try to put yourself in Rahab's shoes here. Rahab sees the army coming. Finally, this is the day that, that, that they've all been dreading, but for Rahab, this is different, right? Talk about suspense, the buildup, as they're marching around the city for seven days. How do you think Rahab felt? She could have wavered in her faith. Second guess her decision. Maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I should remove the scarlet cord. <laughs> Maybe I was wrong about this. No, that does not happen, right? It's not mentioned here, but if I put myself in her shoes, my heart will be filled with joy, excitement. Perhaps I'll be telling my family members because she had to do an amazing job of telling them this is the, the true God, one and only true God and, and he alone is worthy to be praised. She had to continue to share that faith with her family members. Oikos evangelism right there, right? Starting with the people right in her circle. And they did stay. I, I could only picture, almost picture her saying, salvation is here. Let's just wait and see what God does. And God does save her and her family, right? Grace upon grace. But I'm not sure if you guys caught this. The men, they gave specific instructions to tie the scarlet cord in the window, right? So that they will know that that you belong to, to the God of Israel. But then the men said, when we come into the land, put it up. But do you know when she put it up? She put it up immediately, that does say a great deal about her faith. Because people may not catch it, but they will eventually uh, see the scarlet cord that's hanging from her window, and they may be wondering, what is that? What is that? What is that? But Rahab didn't care. She put it up immediately. And you know what the crazy thing is? Despite her limited knowledge of God, all she knew 
about the God of Israel was that he was able to part the Red Sea for them so that they can cross over to the other side of dry ground and that, that he had given the two Amorite kings into their hands. That's all she knew. Pretty limited knowledge of who God is. But here's the thing, and this is where true, authentic, genuine faith shines, but that was enough. That was enough. She believed. And I think oftentimes our problem is, and including myself, is that before we take that step of faith in whatever God is asking you to do, we are often asking God, I need more convictions, I need more affirmations. Tell me more instructions as to uh, how how, how I'm about to go about doing this and what I may expect. And we try to gather as much much information as possible. We try to Google God's heart. We try to extract as much information as possible so that we are cover, we cover our angles and then, and then only when we feel comfortable, we take that leap of faith, right? But that wasn't the case with Rahab. So my challenge to all of you, and this is also a challenge to me too, even though we may not have all the answers, even though we may, God may not reveal those answers for a while, and oftentimes, I mean, he does reveal them as we take that leap of faith. And, and in the midst of the journey, hopefully, as we learn what it really means to put our uh, faith um, in what is objective, in the person of Jesus Christ and his promises, that we will learn to, to live out our faith courageously, with conviction and with boldness. And when we do that, I do believe that we will really um, be able to experience the power of God that only we can experience when we take that uh, type of uh, leap of faith. So this was redemption for Rahab. In faith, she put up the scarlet cord and she was spared. She was saved. But do you know what happened to her? After after, um, Israel took and conquered the city of Jericho, and let me read from Joshua 6, 22 to 25. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron. And they put it into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household, and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. Here's the thing. And she lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers from whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Now, why am I bringing this your to your attention as I close. As you can see, Rahab went to Israel to live among God's people. But do you know what happens when Rahab goes to Israel? She meets a man named Solomon. Why is this important? Solomon and Rahab fall in love. They get married, and they give birth to a child named Boaz. Now, Boaz and Ruth, and Boaz ends up being, being a kinsman redeemer to Ruth, and they end up having a child named Obed. And the Obed, guess what, was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David. And here's the thing, and this is amazing grace at work. Rahab ends up becoming the great-great-grandmother of King David. Grace upon grace. A Canaanite woman, a prostitute living in Jericho, who has no business being in the kingdom of God, but by God's grace ends up becoming the one who preserves the line from which Jesus will come, the promised Messiah. Now what does this tell us? I don't care what the world says. No situation or no one is ever without hope. And this is what we see in the life of Rahab. And it's because of her faith that she was spared, that she was saved. But as I close, let me just end with just one thing. You know, for Israelites, as they began this journey, they have to keep looking backward to the promise. Although they look back for the wrong reasons, 
and but at the same time they have to keep looking forward. I do believe that faith has two outlooks. And here's the thing: when you doubt, and when in doubt, I want to challenge you to look backwards. Look backwards on how far you have come by the grace of God. Also, look back on what God in Christ has already done for you on that cross 2,000 years ago. Pause, remember, and celebrate. When in doubt, also look forward. Look forward to what is guaranteed to come. As Christians, we already know how the story will end. If you're in Jesus Christ, the best case scenario for you is scenario for you is also new eternal resurrection life. So let that be, uh, that promise comes from the gospel, um, helps you and empower you to continue to live a life of faith. And what God in Christ has done for you once and for all on the cross is now for you as we live here and now. Don't forget that. Do not forget that. And as you continue your faith journey here and now, as you hold on to the promises of God, I want to encourage you to keep going, to keep moving, keep standing in faith, keep trusting, keep believing, keep hoping, and keep worshiping to the glory of God in the places that he has called you to be. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that that you are for us, that you are with us. We thank you that even when we wander away and stray away from you, that you remain faithful. As, as we have just considered the courageous and childlike faith of Rahab and how you used her, someone like her, for your kingdom purposes. Father, we find true uh, hope and encouragement in that. Father, as we continue our own faith journey with you and also as a community, Father, would you be with us and help us so that we can also learn to exhibit the kind of um, faith that, that we have seen in the life of, of Rahab. We also pray and ask that as you continue to enable and empower us, help us to live for your glory without compromising our convictions, but ultimately laying down our lives for the sake of your kingdom. God, thank you that you are with us and for us. Cannot thank you enough. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.